Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. That's it. Invite you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. I believe that's page 671 in the soft cover Bibles that are in your seats there. Uh, Daniel chapter 5. We're continuing our series on um, battles in Babylon and looking at the life of Daniel. Again, it's my favorite uh, story to preach because same name, great name. And uh, again, Daniel and I have so much in common. Um, after about, uh, this is a, now, just want to give you some context on where we're going to pick up the story today. Uh, it'll be about, um, so we've been going through, we're in chapter 5, so lots of different stories happening along the way. If you remember, Daniel is in exile, right? So he's a, he's a Jewish young man who is, their, their, their land, their kingdom, Judah, is overthrown by the great Babylonian empire. You heard about Babylon, Babylon in, in high school and things like that growing up and kids, you're gonna hear about it. If, anybody studying Babylon right now in school? Anybody? No, Kevin is, thank you. He's a liar. Alright. So Babylon, this great mighty king, over, overthrows uh, Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, and so Daniel's one of these young men who they, they decide Babylonians don't kill their um, the people they conquer. They harvest them. They take the best and the brightest and they use them and put them to work as servants in their in their land. So they kind of like constantly assimilating and teaching them culture and things. So Daniel's one of those young men. They said he was strong, he was good looking, he was wise, he was wealthy. He had all these things. Like I said, we had so much in common. Um, they take Daniel and they uh, transplant him to Babylon and they train him in the king's ways and now he's serving in the king's court. So that's where Daniel finds himself living in a foreign land among foreign people who don't worship the same God and it's just an interesting experience for Daniel. And so we've been following his story through the years as he served under King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and uh, all sorts of interesting, really interesting, fascinating stories. Where we pick up the story today is now Nebuchadnezzar has died. Okay, so it's years later. It's about 20 years after his death. And uh, it's a few kings removed, and there's actually, Daniel's probably, at this time in life, I mean, this is, he's probably about 80. This is a long time down the road. So he had, he had as a young man, he comes, serves Nebuchadnezzar for so many years, then Nebuchadnezzar dies, and there's a, a series of kings that kind of come along after him, and Daniel outlasts all them. And uh, now, it's, now Daniel's about 80 years old. He's an old man. Um, like I said, we have so much in common. He's an old man. Um, and the Persian army is now beginning to attack uh, the Babylonians. And, you know, you know, all these great, like, empires, right? They don't last, right? There's always somebody else coming, somebody bigger, somebody better. And so the Babylonians, they were the rulers of the, the known world at that time, but the Persian Empire is starting to rise. And um, they actually had just defeated the king at that time in Babylon. It was like a, there was like two kings, actually, kind of co-kings. Um, so it's a father and son. The father, his name was Nabonidus. I'm not going to say it again. Um, and uh, he actually has just lost a battle to the Babylonians away from Babylon, but he's out in battle and he loses, so he flees. So now the Persians are kind of make, marching their way towards Babylon, and the other king, his son, is there. And uh, the son's name is Belshazzar, and we're going to read his story today. Um, so as an enemy army is approaching, you kind of know there's like this sense of tension that there's war in the air. You can smell it, right? So Belshazzar is there. He's in this kingdom. They're, you know, he's in mighty, he's the, he's the co-king of Babylon with his father. Um, but there's an army coming. What would you do if you were in his position? Like if you're 
there, right? You're the king, and you know this kind of enemy army is approaching, and you've you got to get your army ready to fight. You know, you're doing all this kind of stuff. What would you do? Well, we're going to see what Belshazzar does. And this kind of tells you the kind of guy he was. And all of you know him. He's, there's the, you, you know somebody like him. It says this, Many years later, as I'm picking up the story, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. So as the enemy army is approaching, he throws a party and decides to drink a lot because that's how you deal. That's how you cope. Okay, so he's that guy, right? In verse 2, it says, While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, down the line, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in, Jer- in Jerusalem right when he'd overthrown it. It says, Belshazzar wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Again, telling you things about him. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, which they had conquered, and the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So just to make sure we're clear, Belshazzar had cups. He had plenty of cups. Right? He was drinking. He was drinking lots of wine. I mean, and just drinking. I mean, enemies coming. I'm just drinking. I'm drinking lots. I don't need cups. But he said, I want those cups. I want to drink out of those cups. He made a point about this, right? I mean, as an enemy army is approaching, he's wanting to remind his people that, hey, these cups are from people we conquered. We're mighty Babylon. We conquered people too. We're going to take their cups. And we're going to drink out of their cups to remind us that we are strong. We are Babylon, right? And not only are we drinking from the cups of people we conquered, but our gods are greater than their gods, greater than any others. So this was a deliberate act of defiance and a disregard for the, for the God of Judah. He was trying to make a statement about who he was and who his gods were. And he not only used the cups, but he praised his idols while drinking for them. He wanted to make a statement, and let's, it was loud and clear. His predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, knew enough to not touch those cups. He conquered the people, but he knew those were sacred to their God, and he wasn't going to touch them. Belshazzar is the kind of guy who parties right, when an army is approaching, and he tries to make statements about things, and he did. And he says, I have not forgotten my own greatness and the greatness of mighty Babylon. So in verse 5, we pick it up, and it says this, Suddenly, as he's drinking, suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. It's really interesting. If you go, there's a, they do archaeological digs and they've found Babylon and the walls are made of plaster. They find this. This is all like verifiable. It says, And the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. All right. So, now you know where the phrase, the writings on the wall, comes from. Have anybody ever heard that? You know, the writing, writings on the wall, right? This is where that phrase originates. And it's amazing how quickly the mood can change, right? When like a giant hand shows up and starts writing on a wall. I mean, come on. You know, you're just having a party and all of a sudden there's a hand writing on the wall. Like, just a hand. I wonder, like, is it, could you see inside it or was it just like fading away? Like, had, like, was there a wrist? Like, I don't know how far it went. But just a hand, a human hand writing on a wall. Ten seconds ago, this guy was flaunting his power. Really. I mean, he's drinking 
cups in an act of defiance to assert and communicate who he was. And now there's a hand writing on the wall, and he can't even stand up. His knees were knocking together, and he can't even stand. Let me ask you this. Can you remember a moment when you felt genuine fright? Like, think about a moment in your life. I don't know if it was, you know, when you were really scared. Maybe it was, you know, a close call with an accident, or, you know, maybe it was something that happened, and you just knew something, you know, and the sense of impending, uh, just took your breath away. You know, this, it can, fear can be paralyzing. Fear can really, it can cripple. Verse 7, it says, The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around their neck and he will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Because me and my dad were co-kings. So you can be third, right? You can be third. Does that sound desperate? You hear, yeah, because it was. He's desperate. He's terrified, right? So it says, but when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed. I mean, he's already there. It says, but now his face turned pale. It was already pale, right? His nobles were shaken. I mean, he's on, he's on, his anxiety's on 11, right? Like you're just, you know, you ever seen anybody have a freak out? He's having a freak out, right? He's losing his marbles, right? He is just, he's gone, all right? He's probably looking like Casper, the ghost. Because I mean, he said he went pale and then, he, then his pale turned pale, right? He's like, he's, a, he's, he's no blood left in the body. He's just oh, losing himself. He can't walk. He probably can't even move. He's completely immobilized. Now, we have to remember, this is the king of the most powerful nation in the known world at that time who just a few moments before was flaunting his power by drinking cups of a conquered people, saying, my gods are greater than anything, what you got. And now, now, he's in full-scale panic. He's probably soiled himself several times in the past few minutes, lost all body function, and word begins to spread through the palace like wildfire. Have you heard? Did you hear? There is this huge hand. He's writing on the wall. And guess what? The king, he can't even move. He's on the ground. He's just like, ah. Like he's just, he's out of his mind. He's just shaking. His knees are weak. He can't even stand up. The king, yeah. It's crazy. Word begins to spread. Verse 10. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. Don't you mess with the queen mother. She says to Belshazzar, long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. Right, this is not his mother, just so we know. This is most likely Nebuchadnezzar's wife. And if you do the historical study. She's an elderly queen who has, who has lived. I remember, Daniel was alive during Nebuchadnezzar. She's probably just alive. I don't know her, her age at this time, but she's an elderly figure respected in the, in, the, in the palace there. And she says this. She says, get your act together, boy. Stop this nonsense. Kings don't act like that. Kings don't act like that. She's been around before, and she's seen this. And she says this, there is a man in your kingdom. Verse 11, there's a man. Come on, pull yourself together. There's a man in your kingdom who is within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Like I said, we have so much in common. It's amazing. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians Enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, 
has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams and explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. She's saying Nebuchadnezzar put this guy in charge for a reason. He's going to tell you what it means. Now put your big boy pants on. Stop crying. There's no crying in the palace. Just deal, right? You can hear the impatience in the queen mother, right? She's got no time for this little kid who thinks he's a king and he's sitting on the floor groveling and crying. She can't handle it. So Daniel, verse 13, was brought in before the king. And the king, thoroughly embarrassed that he just got put in his place by the queen mother, is trying to pull himself together and not look like the mess that he is. And he says, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? You can still hear him trying to prove, right, that he's got power. I have heard, I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words in the wall and tell me their meaning, but they can't do it. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems if you can read these words and tell me their meaning. You will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom because me and my dad were at top. Can you, I mean, you can hear his condescending tone, right? He's still trying to assert authority. He's addressing Daniel as an exile, right? Go back to it. He says, are you one of the exiles brought from Judah? Are you one of our people that we conquered? He wants Daniel to know, I'm the king, you're not. You're a servant, you're a slave. I don't really need you, but I need you. But I don't need you that much, just a little bit. He thinks he's dangling a carrot in front of Daniel with wealth and power and, hey, slave boy, I'll give you, I'll make you, I mean, this will be, hey, you'll be third in the kingdom. And I love what Daniel says next. Oh, he is so cool. Oh, I'm serious. Man, I'm telling you, Daniel is, he is awesome. He is awesome. It's verse 17. Let's read it. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts. I don't need your stuff. Keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I'll tell you what the writing means. Oh, Daniel is just a boss. Can we agree? He is just so cool. This guy's like, you're an exile. I'm the king. I will give you this. And Daniel's like, I don't need your stuff. I will tell you what it means anyway. Do you hear the power? Do you hear the power? Daniel is not in the mood. He's an 80-year-old man. He's been around the block. He's seen it all. He knows who this guy is. He knows who that guy is. He's a co-king. That's why he's... he's, Listen, he knows the Persian Empire. He knows what's going on. He knows who's about to attack. He says, listen, you're going to offer me a third role in the kingdom when the Persian Empire is on the way? You have nothing to offer me. You have nothing that I want. You ever meet somebody who wasn't anybody? But you could tell that there was more to them than meets the eye. Right? It wasn't about the title. But just something tells you that this person has real authority. You ever meet anybody like that? Like they're not nobody of consequence. You meet them, but you're like, whoa. Just talk to them. And it's like, they don't, they're not supposed to be somebody. But when I talk to them, man, they have real power. Daniel's a servant, an exile from Judah, and he's in charge of that room. It's all hinging, like all eyes are on him. And he, he knows it. He knows it. And he knew that it wasn't because of himself. If you go back in the story that we've been following along, this isn't because Daniel had pride in himself and he knew he was great. It's because Daniel knew that it wasn't the one with the position, the name, the title, the pedigree, or the money who had authority. It was the one connected to the God of all power that had authority, and he was. And Daniel's about to give the king an education in reality. Right. Don't you wish some people lived in reality? You know, 
So postcard once with a picture of a globe on it. Said, wish you were here. Some of you get it. Daniel's about to educate the king in reality. Verse 18, he says this, Your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He, gave, he made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. God alone is the one who has real power. Any power Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, had came from God. Just so we're clear on this. And there was a time when your predecessor forgot that. He continues, verse 20. Says, but when his head, when Nebuchadnezzar's head, when his heart and his mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and he was stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal. We talked about this last week. He lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow. Moo. Moo. He's out there eating grass. King of Babylon eating grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned. Here it is. This is over and over again. This is the message. This is the message. This is the message. Until he learned that the most high God rules over the kingdom of the world. And appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Last week we talked about this. We're all what? What are we all? Turtles. We are turtles on fence posts. If you haven't heard this, if you see a turtle on a fence post, odds are he had help getting there. The king is a turtle on a fence post because God put him there. And God took him down because he forgot that God put him there. He says, you're going to eat grass like a cow. We are all turtles on fence posts. It's not us. It's because God puts us in position. Everything we have comes from God. And until you remember that, you're going to lose your mind. But what Daniel says next, I think, is the most critical assessment of all this entire story. This, this, is, this is where this story comes home for me. When I read this, this is the verse that jumped out at me. Verse 22, and it says this. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. You are his successor, And you knew all of this, yet you have not humbled yourself. You knew better. You knew better. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You went after those cups. It was a statement. It wasn't an accident. You knew what you were doing. You wanted those cups. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It's amazing. The cups are made of gold and silver. And you're praising gods of gold and silver. The same things that you're putting in your mouth and drinking out of. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Daniel is not playing around. Verse 24. So God has sent this hand to write this message to you. You knew better. You knew what pride cost your predecessor. You heard the story. You know how he lost his mind because of his pride. And yet, you've done nothing different. While Nebuchadnezzar was foolish, he repented. He, right? he changed. Belshazzar, you knew better. You've seen God's hand. And you know what? You willfully defied God. It was a fist in God's face. 
You know what you're doing, Daniel says. What kept Belshazzar, I'm going to ask, what kept Belshazzar from learning from his predecessor's example? It wasn't just pride. Pride is an inflated sense of self, but it was beyond that. You know what it was? It was deception. And here's the deception. You ready? Here's the deception. Six words. It will be different for me. It'll be different for me. It's the epitome of deception. Right? The rules don't apply to me. That God may have been in power for my predecessor, but I am smarter, stronger, and more powerful. My life is in my hands. I am the captain of my soul. And I say that these idols are gods. I will show that God and everyone else who the real boss is. Bring me those cups. It will be different for me. Deception. Once again, class is back in session, and Daniel starts to talk. He says, this is the message that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Wow. Can you believe it? Mene, mene, and tekel, and parson. I didn't know God has a southern accent. Got some friends from Tennessee here today, you know. God sounds like Forrest Gump. It means many, many, tickle person. Really, really simple. God is going to tickle all of you with his giant finger. Many, many, tickle person. Right? It's like Forrest Gump. Mene, mene. Right? Tickle person. Many, many. With his big finger, God's going to tickle all of you. I hope you never read this story again without thinking of that, just so you know. I actually had a friend in high school. His name was Christian. And uh, he is a legitimate artist. He's actually de- he designed the uh, Life Tree logo that we use and the Treehouse Kids logo and some things. But he um, also is into graffiti. And he actually used to write, this was his tag, all right? I don't know if you can read this. How many of you can actually read it? Okay, no, none of you. Okay, so it's an M, an E, an N, and an E. It's Mene, right? And up the top, it actually says Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, up top. He wrote that. But he used to go around New York City tagging Mene all over the place because it was the finger of God, the handwriting on the wall. And he thought that was so funny and ironic that he was writing on the wall, you know, I was like, dude, you think you're clever. You're a funny guy. But he would actually write this all over the place. And I was like, that's just, that's hilarious. I had to, had to show you today. But that's it. So for real, for real, this is what the words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. And parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Basically, the cost of your defiance will be your kingdom. The authority. Here is, it. Here's, here's the statement for the day. The authority of God is inescapable. The authority of God is inescapable. You can challenge it, but you will lose every time. God alone rules. We have free will. Acknowledging his authority always ends in life and rejecting it always ends in death. It's inescapable, the authority of God. I don't care what throne you sit on. God rules. Until you learn that, class is still in session. It doesn't matter who you are. And Daniel says the saddest part is that you knew better. Then at Belshazzar's command, this is great, Daniel was dressed in purple robes and a gold chain was hung around his neck and he's proclaimed the third highest rule in the kingdom. So the king gives him the stuff anyway. Daniel's like, whatever. What good's he going to do me? 
Sure, go ahead. Now remember what was going on in the world at that time, advancing Persian army. I'll tell you, the fulfillment of judgment was swift. Let's read as the, story, the close of this story. It says, that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. That very night. And Darius the Mede, Medes and Persians, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And that's the story of Belshazzar. Man, you knew better. You defied God. I'm going to drink from those cups. Every single day, you and I fight the same battle that Belshazzar fought. The battle within us is this. It will be different for me. It's the same battle every single time. It will be different for me. The battle is between reality and deception. That God's authority doesn't apply to us. I know what the right thing to do is, but I want to do it this way instead. Do we say this? You know, I, want, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I've got to do it this way. And it's okay. It's okay because it will be different for me. We justify things all the time and we just say, it'll be different for me. I know, I know this has gotten other people in trouble and, and some of this can be dangerous, but it, it'll be different for me. It's called deception. I know pursuing this hasn't made other people happy, but it'll be different for me. I know I should forgive them, but it's different for me. I just can't forgive right now. It's different for me. I know I should trust God with this, but it's it's, it's just different for me. I can't. I can't. I know I should be generous, but it's different for me. But it's different for me. But it's different for me. The authority of God is inescapable. Nebuchadnezzar learned it. Belshazzar learned it. Throughout history, generation after generation has learned it. It doesn't matter who appears to be in charge. God rules all the kingdoms. He always has. He is right now and he always will. But don't worry. I'm not trying to give you a hard message today because this is not something to fear. It's really not. It's not a threat. See, because you can hear that as a threat, right? It sounds like, man, that's a threat. God, the authority of God is inescapable. Oh, man. Like, that's terrifying, right? But the truth is, that's something to celebrate. This is life-giving news. It means that the one who is infinitely good and kind and compassionate, who's your provider, who's your sustainer, who's everything good in your life, the source of all joy, the source of all peace, the God who is your healer, the God of all these things, the God who is infinitely good, He is always in charge of your life. His authority is inescapable. Your family is in his hands. Your job is in his hands. Your finances are in his hands. Your health is in his hands. Your worth is in his hands. Your future is in his hands. Your world is in his hands. Eternity is in his hands. Everything that matters is inescapably in his hands. It's good news, right? Do you see see the difference? Can I encourage you today? the, The... A great indicator for you is this. 
Does the authority of God make you feel peace? Or does it cause fear? Because it's fear, then you're probably living under some deception of some sort. If the authority of God, if the reality of God's authority causes you fear, then there's a deception somewhere inside that you're believing that's making you knees knock together. God wants your attention. He writes it on the wall. He wants you to know, I rule. I rule. But this is not a cause for fear. This is a cause for faith, for hope, for joy, for peace. Belshazzar refused to acknowledge the reality of God's rule. And it paralyzed him. But Daniel was in exile in a foreign land. He was a slave. He was a servant. He had no control over his own life. Yet he had faith that God held all of his life in his hands. And I've got great news for you today. Great news. Here's the great news. Nothing will be different for you. It won't be different for you. Nothing's going to be different for you. The same thing that happened with Belshazzar and the same thing that happened with Daniel is the same thing for you. God is inescapably in authority in your life. That is great news because it's not on you. And the bad news, I'm sorry to tell you, is that now you know better. You can't say, I didn't know that anymore because now you do. Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have that example. Belshazzar did. He says, you knew all this yet. Guess what? Now you knew all this. So let's go on. Let's trust in the God, our great God of all love. Listen, you can either embrace his authority in your life or he's going to tickle you with his big finger. God's going to tell you, hey, come on. It's good news today. In your life, God is the authority. So I'm going to close in prayer. Would you just bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment and, and pray. Heavenly Father, today, perhaps there are those of us in this room that fear your authority in our life. God, perhaps there's We struggle to trust you. Or maybe there's a deception that we're believing in. Lord, I don't know if we can all always identify it. So God, in this moment today, we ask and we invite you. God, would you give us vision? Help us to see those areas, those things in our life that we're believing that aren't true. Lord, would you remove them from us? Help us to hold on to truth today. Lord, let your authority not cause fear in our life, but let it inspire us. Let it give us hope today. Let hope rise inside of us. God, we ask for courage today. Lord, would would just faith well up inside of us as we recognize that you hold our lives in your hands. God, I thank you. And as we're praying, if you're here today and you say, you know, I've... I'll I'll confess I've been living in fear of the authority of God. I felt like God was always going to judge me and He was just the enemy and I was afraid. I don't want to feel that way anymore. I need Him to transform my understanding. The truth is that God, you has always been an authority. But I've just viewed that authority wrong because I've been living under deception. I want to see truth today. I want to see that authority of God as a good thing. And if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and say, God, help me to see your authority as a good thing in my life. God, help me to see that. Would you just raise your hand today? God, you see our hands. God, and I ask you to begin to do work in us. Lord, in this moment, would you meet us here where we are? Lord, let us not fear your rule. Let us not be afraid of what you might do or what that might mean or the implications of that. 
But let us just trust because we can't escape it anyway. So, Lord, let us just throw ourselves on your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We need you. We acknowledge that. Lord, may we begin to just sense that your authority is for our good. It's for our benefit. You have our best in mind. Because that's who you are. You are are sovereign and absolutely in charge. Let us see that as a good thing today. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.